All right, we started a series uh, last week, and we started off by saying this, this phrase, you are a storyteller. Whether you realize it or not, you're a storyteller. And, and not only that, but, but your story has the potential to be the catalyst that changes someone else's life forever. And uh, that's pretty weighty. Last week, we heard from our, one of our very own. His name is Bert Lachlan. And, and he shared his story on how God has rescued him from an addiction uh, with alcohol. And, and he was, I mean, he just he shared, here, here's uh, my story and here's how God has rescued me. And here's how he's given me victory over this, this addiction. And how my, my life, my marriage, my family is different because of it. You know what? Uh, Bert shared his story in front of a lot of people for two specific reasons. And one of those is not to gain some sort of fame or to bring attention to himself. Uh, he, he did it for two specific reasons. The first reason was really just to, to, to be thankful, to give glory to God and what he's done in his life. Uh, for him to be able to, to share with as many people as possible, look how Jesus has changed my life and given me victory over this, this addiction that, that so had a, a hold on, on my life. The second reason he shared his story was so that you could know that you're not too far gone. Uh, he, he shared his story specifically for those that are struggling with, with substance abuse, that, are, that feel like they ha- have been uh, a prisoner to, to alcohol or to drugs. It's to communicate to everyone that, that God can save you and that Bert himself wants to walk alongside you, wants to journey with you on your road to recovery. And that's why he's launching a recovery group here at Brentwood. And so if that's you and you're ready to take your first step in finding victory and freedom from this, uh, you need to contact Bert. His email is bertlachlan at yahoo.com and just say, hey, that's me. Um, I'm where you were back at the beginning of your story, and I would love to be where you are now in being able to, to, to thank God for the, for the victory he's given me over this addiction. So please uh, contact him. If you don't have email, just come talk to me afterwards, and I will make sure uh, you get connected to Bert. Today, we are emphasizing a very important part of telling our stories. And it's, it's a crucial part of telling our stories, but it's one that we often try to avoid at all costs. It's something that we, we try to, to steer away from, especially men. Especially men. And I can say that because I'm one of them. Right? I'm, I'm one of the men species, and we have a problem with this. But here's the deal. Everyone in this room has has some level of, of issue with this particular aspect of telling our stories. And, and we need to talk about it. So we're going to look at uh, one verse from uh, one of Jesus' more famous teachings, and it comes from Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And in verse 3, here's what Jesus says. Okay, this is Jesus speaking. He says, blessed, or, or instead of blessed, you could say favored or even happy. You could, you could interchange those words. So, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, 
whether the Bible is something new to you, that's the first time you've ever heard that verse, or maybe you grew up in church and you've heard that verse, you've read that verse. Let's be honest. That's one of those verses that when we read it, we think, is there a typo in my Bible? Like, did the publisher get this wrong? Because what, what I think Jesus just said is that I should be happy that I am blessed when I am poor in spirit. That's what he said. And that's important for what we're going to talk about today. Because Jesus is essentially teaching us that we are blessed when we admit that we're wrong. And when we finally admit that we need help. That we can't do it on our own. That we, we don't have the strength to save ourselves. That we are blessed when we finally get to that point where we admit that. In fact, uh, it has a word. There's a word that describes this. And the word is vulnerability. Being vulnerable. See, that, that word, it, uh, it doesn't sit well with a lot of us. Being vulnerable isn't something we enjoy doing. Uh, a, a Christian psychologist by the name of Dr. Henry Cloud writes this specific, specifically about being vulnerable. He says, The realization of need is the beginning of growth. That's where it starts. Humility... And vulnerability are absolutely necessary for bonding to take place at a deep level. Vulnerability is a skill, so it's something that we have to develop, something that we have to practice. It's a skill that opens up the heart for love to take root. And then he goes on. He says, when you can admit that you need support and help and can reveal your hurt and isolation, a dynamic is set into motion that can literally transform your personality and life. And so the thing that Jesus taught about uh, modern psychology is finally catching up. And that it's when, when we are vulnerable, when we admit when we're wrong, when we admit that we need help, it's in those moments when we get to see God vividly work in our lives. It's those moments that we get to look back and see how the most transformation has occurred in our life. And it's in those moments of being vulnerable that we're able to help other people gain freedom. To help other people... Um, find restoration and, and hopefully find Jesus. Paul practiced being vulnerable. Uh, he talks about it specifically in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then here's what it is. He says, Of whom I am the worst. So he just, he just lays it uh, on the carpet. He says, if you knew what I've done, if you knew what I've thought, if you know what I've done to people who claim to follow Jesus, you would agree with me. I, I'm the worst. Like, out of all the sinners that Jesus came to save, I needed it the most. But he says it's for a reason. He says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So Paul says that in the midst of him expressing and admitting that he is in need, that he is a sinful person, that he's been separated from God, he says that it was in that moment that God was able to display incredible patience, incredible mercy, incredible grace and love. And that, because of that, his life was able to be an example to other people. 
to everyone that would read or, or knew Paul back in that day, would be able to, to see what God has done in his life because he was vulnerable. Today, uh, we get to hear from our lead pastor, Pastor John, as he tells his story. And, uh, and you'll notice that as he tells his story, he uses the model um, that he talked about last week that all community groups kind of go through. And it's this model of creation and fall and redemption and restoration. And you'll, you'll see that as Pastor John goes through talking about um, his story. And so at this time, direct your attention to the screens and, and check it out. When Jesus walked the earth, it says that people gathered by the thousands to hear him speak. And the Bible says that the crowds were astonished with his teachings because he spoke as one who had authority. Like they were astonished by what he said because the Holy Spirit was all over him. Jesus was a master storyteller too. He he used people and places and plot lines to illustrate the way that the kingdom of God was at hand in our life. You know, the same is true of us. God has made us to be master storytellers. The places and the people that make up our story, they are they're paragraphs and, and chapters that build our own plot lines. In fact, you can go back to the places from your past and you can get nostalgic or you can get inspired all over again. And sometimes people even find closure in all that. And you can do the same with people, you know, just start reminiscing about someone you once knew or a season you shared together or more of your story that just starts getting clearer and clearer the more you talk it out with somebody. And what's even more brilliant is that our Heavenly Father, His imprint is all over it. You can just see like he was there and I didn't know he was there, but he was there too. I can see him all over my own story. I grew up in this church. My dad was the pastor here for almost a decade. So my family might call this sort of the foundational years. In fact, those days were foundational for my faith in Jesus Christ. They were my early heritage where I heard all of those great Bible stories. Uh, Stories about Jesus on a cross and and the empty tomb and God's love for the world and the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I mean, all of that was my story. And, And God used this place to set me on the path towards, towards his greater plan. And then there's like the people. Uh, A woman named Frances used to play the organ every Sunday. And her husband, Al, directed the congregation in all of those old hymnal music, like Amazing Grace, It Is Well, uh, Power in the Blood. Those were the songs, um, (laughs) those were the songs that I worshiped God to and learned to in a really, really bad singing voice. Then there was Mary Ann, a retired school teacher that taught my Sunday school class for for years. And sometimes she would tutor me uh, in math in the summertime. But she was the voice behind so many of those stories. Like when I go back and I think about, uh, you know, David and Goliath, I, I hear her voice when I think about those stories. 
Uh, every Sunday, though, my dad would stand up there and he would preach his heart out so that people could respond to Jesus. And without those people in my life, my life would look so much different than now, especially my dad. Like a lot of kids, you know, my dad was my hero. And deep down, I knew he wasn't perfect, but still, he, he seemed so unbreakable to me. I would later find out how breakable he is. But my early years in the church seemed so idealized to me. It all seemed so, you know, joy, joy down in my heart. But once I hit middle school, Jesus and the church didn't seem to fit me like it once had. I still believed, but I wanted to fit in at school more than follow Jesus. So I sort of faded into the pop culture, girls and partying and living a double life. And coming to church, I was the pastor's kid, but, but outside of these walls, I, I live to please others. I live uh, a very self-indulgent life, and I lost my way. And yet, I never, felt like, I never felt like God gave up on me. High school got even darker. I, I seemed to have all the right people liking me, the friends and the girls and the weekends, but I felt empty and false, like I didn't know who I, I really was or who I wanted to be. I, I remember uh, staying out all night one night and, and partying with some friends over at a friend's house. His parents were away and we were drinking and carrying on and, and acting foolish. And I remember, I remember waking up that next morning and right beside me in, in the bed was this girl. She was my girlfriend at the time. And this had been a pattern. I mean, this wasn't anything new. But right then, in that moment, it was that prodigal revelation. I knew, I knew that I had been running. And I knew I had been chasing the wrong things. And, you know, as it says in, in, in the Gospels, it says that, that he came to himself. Like, he, he realized, the prodigal son realized in that moment, I, I think it was that moment that I realized that that I had fallen so far away from God, but still, still, I sensed His presence, even in the room at that moment, that He wanted me to surrender my full life and full trust to Him. But I couldn't seem to let go of the world. The Bible talks about this in Revelation, you know. Jesus is talking to the church and he says, I, I know you inside and out and, and I find little to my liking. You're not cold and you're not hot. Far better to be either hot or cold. You're stale. You're stagnant. He says in the message paraphrase, you make me want to vomit. Like, wow. I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh. My life made Jesus want to vomit. Not, not because I was a sinner but because I was a fake. Something would happen though that would rattle me out of my, my hypocrisy, out of my mediocrity, you know, the chains that sort of had me bound. The rattling would come the day that my dad would have a complete breakdown and so would my family. It, it, would, it would stretch our family to the, to the brink. Uh, my hero, my father, uh, my pastor of all those years was so utterly breakable. And that day, everything about my life came crashing down. I felt 
I felt betrayed. I felt lied to. And, and things got worse because my dad uh, left the ministry for a while. And, and I was pretty sure my parents were going to lose their marriage. Uh, I, I just fell into this absolute despair. And then one night in my room, while, you know, wondering if my family was even going to make it, what, what, whether we were going to survive and if I could even survive at all. I just felt God's presence overwhelm me like never before. It, it, it was so tangible for me. And in that moment, I could no longer, I could no longer judge my father for his sin because, because I knew that I was no different. God reminded me in that moment that he had always been my perfect father. And, and I, needed, I needed to forgive my so imperfect dad because my perfect father had forgiven me. It was um, out of that struggle and pain that I gave my life fully to Jesus Christ. I remember sitting in church on Easter Sunday and we were all up in the balcony and my parents were they were together but it, it was just so I mean, you could you could feel the tension and I remember it's the first time we had been in church for a while and the pastor gave this invitation to come down and accept Jesus forgiveness and and renewal and I remember just my heart you know, about to beat out of my chest and, and I knew that that was the day it was all going to change and so I walked down from that balcony all the way down to the, to, the, to the middle aisle of that church and I walked down that aisle in front of hundreds of people that day and I wept there at the, at the altar for what seemed like forever and I just remember crying I remember being in front of Again, hundreds of people, and, and I didn't care. I just, I just knew that's what I was supposed to do. I, I was supposed to just, just cry it out. And I got up, and I never turned back. I knew, I knew that, that this was, was a new road for me. You know, it's, it's mysterious how God uses the struggles of life to get us back to Jesus, back to himself. And, and I have no doubts that he used the downward spiral of my earthly family and my earthly father to reclaim and restore me to himself. It's funny, a few days ago, I was over at my parents' new house and they had all gotten moved in and set up and, you know, hey, come over for dinner. And... And we were all sitting around the dinner table and we were talking and we were telling stories and my kids were there and and I asked my dad, I said, so how long have you and mom been married now? He said, 42 years. And, and I looked over at both my parents and I said, thank you guys. Thank you for fighting through all of that stuff back then and, and over the years. You know, thank you for staying married and, and staying in love. You guys are my heroes. This is my story. This is the gospel. It's, uh, it's amazing how he, he talks about that through, through every season of the life. 
he saw God's imprint and his moving despite his, you know, running away from him and living that double life and how it was in the midst of a family tragedy that brought him to this place of, of fully surrendering. And, and he has that redemption scene there at the church and the altar and, and how that forever changed the path of his life. You know? And uh, this church itself existing right now as it is because of those moments along his life. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, how, how many of you, that was the first time you've ever seen Pastor John with hair in, in the pictures? Yeah. Um, some people are just better off bald. <laughs> I, think, I think he's one of them. So. <laughs> he's not here, so I can say that. <clears throat> uh, let's get practical. Uh, let's talk about how you and I can begin to um, practice being vulnerable Something that, that Pastor John just displayed, which I'm so thankful um, uh, uh, in his leadership and kind of setting the tone. But let's, let's talk about how we can practice uh, vulnerability in our story, storytelling. When we are able to sit across the, the coffee table or, or lunch table and, and just talk with one person. Or maybe you get a chance to, to speak to a, a room full of people and, and tell your story. How are you going to practice being vulnerable? First of all. Follow the Spirit. Number one, follow the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you cues on what details you're supposed to share when telling your story. And if you get to that point and you have those things in your story and you just, you're not sure on whether or not, uh, whether you should share them, there's a couple of th- questions you can ask yourself. First of all, you can say, uh, am I withholding this out of fear? And you can just pray that. I got him. Am I withholding this, this detail or this instance out of just fear? Because I'm fearful of what other people will think. Or the opposite end, you can ask yourself, am I sharing this to get attention? To, get it, to glorify, glorify myself and my sin? Sometimes we can do that. See, one is fear. The other one is pride and selfishness. And neither one of those is of the Spirit. And so when it comes to telling our story, like we, we just need to ask God, God, help me. Uh, what, what details do you want me to share that's going to best... Uh, Proclaim ultimately the gospel to other people. Number two, feel heavy emotions. And this is really where the guy is getting comfortable. Because when it comes to telling our story, we're going to unearth, we're going to dig up some emotions that we just aren't comfortable with. Uh, Emotions of fear, of sadness, of anger. And, and some of us, we're just not good when, when emotions start to well up. We, we react very negatively. But here's the thing. That's what makes us human, our emotions. And so you need to feel those and give yourself permission to feel those emotions in, in that time of, of telling your story. And then third, fight defensiveness. This is big. Perfection is impossible to achieve. But yet so many of us spend our days trying to achieve it. And the pursuit of perfection ultimately destroys us and leaves us absolutely defeated, right? Because as soon as we look at the internet or social media or we talk with our friend on the phone, we realize how unperfect we are. So it's all right to admit that you don't have it all together. It's all right to admit when you've sinned and, and uh, to not cast blame or to try to to excuse or defend yourself that's not being vulnerable 
So fight defensiveness. Stay away from being perfect. Number four, face rejection courageously. Here's the thing. You're going to tell your story. You're going to be vulnerable. uh, And some people aren't going to take kindly to it. Right? Because when you're vulnerable, it it may strike, strike a chord in their own spirit that's just they're uneasy with. And so they're going to respond usually with trying to cast shame or cast judgment on you or to try to put you down and be like, are you kidding me? You, you've got to fight through that. You've got to respond to that courageously and say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to believe that shame. I'm not going to listen to that judgment. I'm not going to take it personal because I know this is what God wants me to do. And you know what? God's forgiven me. So even though I tell it, like I don't have to live in the past. So face it courageously. The truth hurts and not everyone is ready to hear it. That's just the fact. And then finally, most important one, follow through with the gospel. Paul, when the verse we read earlier, he he demonstrated this. He said, man, I'm the worst of sinners, but he didn't stop there because he used that to say, but look what God has done in my life. Like, look at, at the patience he's given to me. Look at the grace that he's given to me. Look at the love that he's just poured out on my life. And so when we tell our stories, when we're vulnerable, we do so ultimately to point people to Jesus. That's it. In fact, we talked about this. Like, our stories, when we've given our life to Jesus, they're no longer ours. Now they're our Jesus story. And the ultimate goal is to shine light on him and to point people to him. I want to focus on uh, something specifically that Pastor John said in his story. And um, it, it centers around his redemption scene, you know, the scene where he's at church and he goes forward and he's, he's weeping. And, and it's in that moment that he, he felt God moving and he just gave his life to Jesus. Like that was a, a pinnacle turning point in his life. And, and here's what I want to say, okay? Stay with me. Everyone in this room, everyone has a redemption story. Everyone. Let me explain that. Uh, I used to, to take six to seven high school students uh, a couple months through this discipleship class. They'd meet at my house, and, and we talked about some of this stuff and about how we all have creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I'd tell those students that when they walked down the hall at school, every student they passed um, has, has a redemption story, has a savior that they placed their faith in, whether they realize it or not. And so for some of us, that's Jesus, which is awesome. Some of us, we had a moment like Pastor John where we realized, okay, Jesus has died for my sin to forgive me. He rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. Like I placed my faith in that. For, for some of us, our Savior is something of this world. We don't even realize it. We all have it. Like, at one point, maybe your Savior is that relationship, that guy or that girl. Like, you, you look to that relationship for your source of hope, for your source of, of trying to gain a sense of unconditional love um, that you, you just you can never be satisfied with. Maybe your redemption story includes uh, the fact that your Savior is your kids. And that you've placed so much faith in your kids 
that, that you use your kids to give you some sort of self-value and self-worth and that you look towards to them for that? Or, or maybe your savior is your work and your career. You're like, hey man, that's something I'm good at. That's something that people respect me over. Like that's the thing that's gonna make me, you know, big time. The problem with that is that when we look for those other things, to be our savior, to rescue us, to give us hope, to give us value, to give us love, they're going to fail us every single time. The kids, they grow up and they leave the house. That marriage, man, your husband or wife, they're going to fail to love you unconditionally some days. They will. They're going to let you down. They're going to hurt you sometimes. That job, it could be gone like that. It can And so my prayer is that if you've never got to the point in your story where you realize that your savior was all these other things and that you've yet to place your faith in Jesus, my my prayer is that today you would would do that. Because here's the thing, with Jesus, like it's a hope that can never be taken from us, never. It's a love that, that no matter what we do, he won't love us less or more. That because of Jesus, we are fully loved and fully accepted. Right? We, we all have a redemption story. It's just some of us have been able to get to the point where, where we realize that Jesus is really our only true Savior and the only one worth placing our faith in. And so maybe this morning uh, will be a turning point in your life. Just like Pastor John was that morning as he sat on the balcony with his family that was in shambles. And so uh, we're going to sing. And then we're going to respond, and you just respond to how God's leading you. If you are ready to give your life to Christ, and you realize that, man, man, I, I'm, I don't have all the answers, but man, I realize that Jesus, I, like, he, he, He's my Savior. I want to place my faith in Him. You can come forward. This church would love to pray for you. And then if you're ready to give your life to Christ, just tell someone. They can, you guys can walk out the back or uh, talk to me, and we'll, we'll, we'll chat. So let's sing, let's respond. So stand with me. And let, let me let me pray for us this morning. Father, we uh man, it is so difficult to admit when we're wrong. It is so difficult uh, to to confess that we don't have it all together. Man, God, don't we we try so hard to to act like we do have it all together. Like we 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 try so hard. Um, to pretend and to, to seek perfection or so God I'm so thankful for your grace and mercy that even in, in those times where we run away or we try to to hold it all together ourselves that you're still gracious, you're still patient with us that you're still there with us God I pray for that person this morning specifically that, that they would realize that their savior is, is something temporary of this earth and that it, it cannot save them as much as they think that it can. That, that the, the alcohol or the drugs or that relationship or that job, that, that none of that can save them. That their good works can't save them. God, we're grateful for your son Jesus and his sacrifice. Um, man, thank you. We worship you and you alone. We, we do this to point people to Jesus. And God, I, I hope that we've done that this morning. So uh, may we respond to how you're leading. God, we pray these things in your name.